Thanks for joining us for the Exchange Church Podcast. Here's this week's message from Pastor Trey Rose. Everybody take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath out. One more. One more. And out. Turn to the person behind you and say, you need a tic-tac. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, we've been in a series called Begin Again. This is about week number five on the series. And I wanted to talk to you about what it looks like to begin again in whatever capacity that means, whether it's just life or career or with Jesus or whatever. And I decided to drill back down to the fundamentals. So we talked about Bible study on one week. We talked about prayer on one week. It sounds super fundamental, but we had a wake-up call to say it's time for you and I to get back to the football, right? And then on week three, I talked about dreams and how fundamental it is for you and I to possess a dream. We often think it's a luxury, but the reality is you will die without a dream. And so it is It's a fundamental. We have to learn to dream again. I got so much support and encouragement after week one of dreams. People came and said, please stick on dreams for a moment. So I did. I came back last week, talked about dreams some more. It was a great sermon, I think. And at least I know it was from the heart of God. And then I decided I'm going to do one more week. So this week is on dreams as well. So this is week three of the subtopic dreams of the topic, begin again. So I, you know, passed over Bible study, passed over prayer pretty quickly, dreams. We've been hitting really hardcore. So I hope by now there's been something brewing inside of you. Something, even if just an eagerness to explore more in your world, in your relationship with Jesus, because it is time for us to dream again. And I want to take you to my text today, 1 Kings chapter 18. Such a good text. Oh, the whole chapter is just gold. Like, it's incredible. I do want to just highlight a few verses for you. We'll jump around, skip around a bit, so that I can at least convey the overall message that I want to talk to you about today. Let's start with verse 1 and verse 2. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Let's jump on down to verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Verse 40. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said to go back. The seventh time, everybody say the seventh time. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud 
as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Today, I want to talk to you on the subject of preparing for rain. Father, we come before you today. I thank you because you are good. All that I know within me says and knows that you are so good. So Lord, I just ask that in this moment we would fix our eyes on you, that we would focus on the call which you have placed inside of our heart, that you will help us to run this race. God, that you will help us to allow your spirit to be vulnerable with Holy Spirit, to stir something inside of us, those dreams that we've been longing for, those dreams that we have been praying would come to pass. God, do something in us in this moment. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. Before you sit down, I want you to high five or hug at least five people, and then you may be seated. I have good hearing, I think. I'm a good listener. That's what people tell me anyway. They say I'm a pretty good listener. I don't know if it's really that I'm a good listener or I'm just a bad talker. Uh, But the reality is I have a good tendency when somebody's talking to really zero in on what they're saying and be empathetic and put myself in their shoes and try to reserve my judgments till their last sentence. And, you you know, we all do the same thing. I try to just be a good listener. I think I think I have a knack for it. In fact, uh, one of my kids, one of my kids a few weeks ago, uh, over the course of the past month, there we go. Uh, uh, over the past month, I have asked Tristan, I'm sorry, one of my kids, I won't say his name, I've asked one of my kids to check the pool and make sure that the water level is where it needs to be because you can't let the water level go too low. As we all know, it will burn up the filter, yada, yada, yada. And we just got a new filter over the past year, so we've got to take good care of it. And and so he'll turn it on, but as most 13-year-olds do when they come back into the house, they often forget to say, Alexa, set a timer, right? And uh, that, that's part of his chores is the backyard and making sure that the pool is up. And so probably four times in the last month, we have woken up and the next day realized that for 24 hours, our hose had been running. Yes, my thoughts exactly. Uh, About a week ago, I was laying in bed, out cold, sleeping on my side, which I don't normally do, but thank God I did in this moment because somehow through the pillow and then through the bed frame into the foundation of the house, I hear water running. Now, if you've ever been inside my bedroom, which hopefully you haven't um, because I don't know about that, but (laughs) if you've ever been in my bedroom, you know that it's just one massive wind tunnel. We have, you know, industrial-sized fans. We've got a window AC that blows cold air, even in the winter. Like, it can never get too cold. We have an extra box fan, one of those cheap, loud ones. We like them rickety. We just like it loud, and we have it on the other side of the room. We don't use it unless the other things are not loud enough, so then we'll plug that in. 
which makes, you know, it's hard to have a private conversation in the bedroom because even when Carrie's sitting right next to me, we're having to yell over all of the white noise. So it's really a miracle that I heard the water running in the wind tunnel called Trey and Carrie's room. And so I get up at 1230 at night, I go outside, throw on my robe, and I turn, turn the water off, and the next day I address it with Tristan. And I remind him kindly after the fourth, fifth time that we need to set the reminder on Alexa. But I also reminded him that he should thank God that his daddy knows how to hear. He should thank God that his, his daddy knows how to listen for things that other people wouldn't hear. In fact, Carrie even has said to me multiple times over the past month, how in the world did you hear water running? And I'm saying, I don't, I don't actually know. I just like become the water. Do you know what? It, maybe it's because I pay the bill and I see what it is. I'm just automatically thinking. And then there's on some occasion where I'm actually right that the water is running. But we're spoiled, Carlos, in America. Think about it. We are The Rose family is spoiled to have the ability to let a hose run five days out of the month for 24 hours. We're spoiled. It's hard in our westernization mind frame to even conceptualize this idea of a drought. A drought. I mean, you and I probably live in a house with running water, indoor plumbing. Isn't that convenient? You just get to flush the toilet. You don't have to dig a hole and bury it. You, you get to turn on the faucet and wash your hands. You don't have to go down to the stream. You get to throw things into the washing machine and get your clothes clean. You don't have to go down to the river and, and, and use soap and do this and rinse it out. We've got the convenience of running water. So it's really hard for you and I, when the Bible is talking about a drought, to understand this concept of a drought. To us Texans, especially Fluorvillians, we think a drought means we have set watering days. I can only water on Tuesdays and Fridays, or I can only water on Wednesdays and alternating Saturdays, and we are just so inconvenient, so much so that some of you sneak and water your grass at night so you don't get caught by the water police. I know what you do. We see your green yard. I follow the rules. That's why my grass turns brown. But we think that's, that's a drought. Oh, we just can't wait for the Texas skies to open up and to rain because we're so inconvenienced. Let's just take a step back from Texas for a moment. And let's put ourselves into the times of Elijah and what this drought looks like. You see, I've been to Haiti. I've been to the orphanage, the campground where our kids are. Sylvia's gone. Carrie is gone. Michaela, Sherry, many of you have gone. You know what a drought looks like. You know what it means to walk onto campus with 50 kids who haven't had water in three to four days, and their, their lips are cracked and dry, and their eyes barely produce any tears because they are thirsty for that which they need just to survive. They're not complaining about watering schedules. They're, they're complaining because lethargy has set in. They're complaining because mental Fog has set in. They can't even process anything clearly because their body has started to shut down from dehydration. You see, a real, a real drought is that moment when the grass dies, not because the watering schedule is inconvenient, but the grass turns brown because there is no other option but to wither and fade because there's no uh, water to sustain its life. 
A drought means vegetation stops, by the way. Nice tomato bushes, that's great, but with no water, no tomatoes. You may have the greatest garden around in the middle of nowhere, but without water, you're not producing any fruit. A drought means the cattle fall over dead because they're worn out and they can't even cool down and they have nothing to keep their systems going. A drought means the ground is so thirsty and dry that the soil begins to shrivel up like 120-year-old skin of a human and it cracks because it needs desperately just a little bit of love from the sky. A drought goes so much further than what you and I understand. A drought is that moment where we look at the community and we know that one of us is about to die in the next 24 hours if we don't hear and see rain. Oftentimes I'm convinced our dreams are much like rain. We've been praying for rain, hoping for rain, asking Jesus for rain, and our dreams are getting tired. Not inconvenienced from a poor watering schedule, like getting tired because there's nothing left apparently to sustain the dreams that we have. So we see in our text here that Elijah has to do something about it. Aren't you glad that when you're going through a drought, God has a way of escape? There is, um, there's this tribe in Australia. It's an aboriginal tribe, indigenous to the land. And there are many tribes, but this one in particular that I'm referring to, they had a 100% success rate in doing a rain dance. And they would, in times of drought, they would do a rain dance. And, and no lie, 100% of the time, this is not a joke, 100% of the time they would do the rain dance and rain would fall. And there was this severe drought one time in the history of Australia, and the individual farmers couldn't afford to pay these people to come and dance, so they decided to get together, to pull all of their money together, and then let's form the path where they dance so that the rain will fall on all the contributors, the land of the contributors that paid for the rain dance. And uh, it's, you know, that's awesome, 100%. I would think 51% success rate would have been good. You, you ever been in a Texas drought and tried to rain dance? We have some natives. We have some natives in the room. Y'all ever, ever had people that tried to do rain dances? Come on. I, I know I prayed for rain. How many of you, when it finally did rain, you danced in the rain? Oh, see, that's lazy. You want to dance when the rain shows up, but not when you need the rain. 51%, 51% success rate would have been good, right? I would think 75% would have been good. But this is 100% every time they danced. It rained. So the farmers pulled the money together. They got this tribe to come out and they danced. 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 And would you know that the skies opened up and it rained? The drought was over. The community was thrilled. People were talking about it. They were writing about it in the newspaper. Finally, one of the heads of the town came to the tribal council chief and said, you've got to tell us you have to tell us what is it about your tribe that 100% of the time there's a success rate that when you dance, it rains. And the guy chuckles a bit and he says, the answer's simple. We just dance till it rains. I wonder how many of us walk away from the dance because it becomes inconvenient rather than dancing till it rains. There is a way out of the drought. It just requires your feet to get a little tired. 
It requires your back to ache a little bit. It requires you possibly to miss a meal, possibly to get exhausted, possibly to miss some sleep. Like you and I have to want our dreams, the dreams that God has placed in our heart so bad that you and I are willing to dance till it rains. Not, not dance until we're tired. Not dance until we get a buyout from someone else. We have to dance until it rains. I love that Elijah went up and he said, I hear the sound. Where is that actually? Verse 30, Elijah said, all the people come here to me. They built an altar. Verse 40, Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, slaughter them all. Elijah said to Ahab, eat and drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. Elijah heard a sound of a heavy rain long before he ever saw the first water droplet. This is the essence of faith, my friends. We have to learn to hear better in the spirit, what's going on in the spirit realm. Nothing will ever be made manifest in the flesh until it first is produced in the spirit. And when we can hear what the spirit is doing and what the spirit is saying, then we can begin to confess and align our mouth with what the spirit is saying and come into agreement with that. I was raised Pentecostal. Do you guys know what that is? You, you know what it's not? Pentecostal, we are, we are the crazy folk, right? Um, that. When you can't describe it, you can hear it. We, oh yeah, come on now. We, uh, we believe in so many good things, great things. And, and by the way, when I say Pentecostal, I'm not talking about the denomination. I'm talking more about just the realm of expression and the belief in God doing what God says that he can do, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he was, he is, and he's yet to come. We believe in speaking in tongues is for today. It is a heavenly language. Yes, it's true. I know you may not have been exposed to it. You may have really great theological persuasions that say it ceased when the apostles left. I, I, I've heard it all. I know, but when I... I finally encountered it. I realized it's real. And I just grew up with that. And I grew up with the spirit of prophecy. And I grew up with the spirit of word of knowledge and the gift of miracles and healing. I grew up being crazy enough to pray for people at Walmart in wheelchairs. And, and even if God didn't raise them, I prayed again. Like that's just, that was in me. It was every part of of who I was, but I got to tell you one thing, even though in the Pentecostal movement, we learned a lot about the power of our words and the effectiveness of our tongue. One thing that I want to backtrack just a moment for you is to say, it doesn't really matter how effective your tongue is if your ear is malfunctioning. Because you will hear what the Spirit is not saying, and you will start to declare what the Spirit is not saying, and you can declare things all day long and mess up God's plan for your life. Until you hear, you will never speak, and if you never speak, you will never see it. The issue is not so much about getting the tongue to speak as it is getting the ear to hear. I love, I love how Elijah put his head between his knees his face between his knees. He rearranged some things. You and I are going to have to move some things around. In fact, Chad, the Bible says that he built an altar to the Lord. He rebuilt the altar, and then he took false prophets, and he slaughtered them. He had to 
build the right things and dethrone the wrong things. And I think you and I will never see our dream come to pass until we have the courage to dethrone the false gods that we have allowed to take resident on the throne of our heart. There are some things that need to come down. Traditionalism, bring it down. If God wants to do a new thing, let him. He's God. He's going to do it with your permission or without. Bring it down. The need to be accepted by others, bring it down. If you're pleasing everybody, you're pleasing nobody, and you're certainly not pleasing God. The next thing, pride. Bring it down. Humble yourself before the Lord, because let me just tell you from experience, it's way more fun to humble yourself than to find out that the Lord is needing to humble you. Pride's got to come down. Arrogance. It's got to come down. If you want to walk out the dreams, the God dreams in your heart, that arrogance, it doesn't look good on you. And by the way, while we're at it, let's talk about ego. E-G-O, ego, let it go. Let your ego go. Are you with me, church? Come on, you got to let go your ego. Now, ego, don't get confused. Ego is not pride. Some of you are like, I don't have an ego issue. I'm just little old me. That's ego. That is ego. If you think you don't have an ego problem because you're just little old me, that is ego. You know what ego is? Ego is the value that you place on self-importance. So we could be at a restaurant and we could see, you've, you've probably seen someone like this. You've probably done it, as have I. You see someone walk in a few minutes late and they look very insecure and they're shuffling about like this, kind of crunched down because they don't want to be seen, right? You've seen this. Anyone seen this? Unfortunately, that person has a huge ego. They actually believe that all eyes are on them rather than on the chicken piccata. See, you can, you can be very insecure but have a massive ego. You think your, your importance is way bigger than it really is in the world. And as a result, you're going to have a tendency to try to manipulate people, give people guilt trips, and make things happen the way you want them. Because if you want it, that's how it should be. That's ego. And guess what? You will never see your God-given potential and dreams if you allow ego to flourish. You've got to bring it down. And because I'm an old-time Pentecostal preacher, thanks, Chad. I also have to address and at least throw in here just for fodder for you to be offended at at lunch. Sin has to be brought down. If you want to see God's dream in your... I'm really shocked that you guys got so excited after the ego. No. Sin has to be brought down. It really does. And, and I know we... It, it is actually possible to bring sin down and maintain love. Lust has to be brought down. Dare I say, it is, it is quite impossible for us to date pornography and date God's dream for our life simultaneously because you can only serve one master. And I hope you don't feel condemned in this moment. This, this is the moment of freedom for you. 
because you've been trying to serve two masters and it's just tough. No wonder you wore out. No wonder you're exhausted. No wonder you've been praying for rain and you don't even see a cloud the size of a man's hand because in between running to the mountain ledge to look over at the ocean, you're running back to the computer screen to flirt with Satan. I, I get it. I understand. Sin, sin is tempting, but if we want to elevate dreams, we have to bring the God of sin down. We have to rearrange things. You know what I love? Elijah placed his head between his knees. Now, I said earlier that hearing was important, but when he did that, he covered his ears with his knees to block out every sound that heaven had not yet deposited inside of him. Did you know when you do that, back in Elijah's time, they didn't have birthing centers. They had birthing stools. So they would actually sit on a stool and place their head between their knees so that they could hear what was going on inside of their body. You will never see the rain cloud in the distance until you bring some things down, including yourself, and you get low so that you can hear what the Spirit of God has already placed inside of you. Because until you embrace what the Spirit of God has placed inside of you, you will never see it come outside of you. Terry, you're a rainmaker. I know you didn't, you didn't think it. You, you thought just God made the rain and you've been waiting and you've been hoping. Luis, you've been hoping and you've been praying for the rain. You're a rainmaker, Luis, because the same creative ability that God used to form the heavens and the earth, he placed inside of you. You have that same creative ability inside of you. So you don't actually have to sit on the couch with your popcorn and Netflix and pray for rain. You can get up off your bottom and go make some rain. And even when you don't see the cloud, you can keep running back and forth one time, two times, three times, four times, five times. It's time for you and I to make some rain. I talked about the fundamentals of Bible study, the fundamental of prayer. And, you know, the Lord's kind of been, I've been wrestling with the Lord. He's not wrestling with me. He just said something, and now I'm wrestling with it. But oftentimes we, we think, mm, I don't want to become legalistic in my Bible reading. Like, if, if I can't do it every day, that's okay. I don't want to become legalistic in my prayer time. If I can't do it every day, that's okay. God knows my heart. And just as destructive as legalism was back here where we tried to earn our way into God's grace and favor, the remnant of that is still destructive because we are confusing discipline with legalism. Reading your Bible every day is, is not legalism. It's called discipline, which we need. It's called doing something even when you don't feel it. Could you imagine if our worship team only came up on this platform and lifted their hands and sang when they felt like worshiping? Because I can guarantee you that on this morning, there were several of people on this platform that didn't really feel like worshiping, but they knew that God was still good. They knew that he was still present. They knew that he was still faithful in every time of need. 
So they worshiped not because of circumstance, but because of who God was. That's called discipline. That moment when you can lift your hands and surrender after you've carried the weight of the world and you realize you couldn't do it on your own, that's called discipline. That moment when you wake up every single morning and you spend five minutes in prayer, that's called discipline, not legalism. And isn't it interesting that we only say those things with God and money, by the way. Many of us won't tithe because that's legalistic. It's not legalism, it's called discipline and obedience. But that's okay, we can keep forfeiting our dreams and blame legalism. Or we can step into righteous self-discipline and encounter all that God has for us. I couldn't imagine doing that to my wife, saying, hey honey, I'm not gonna talk to you today. Like, I don't wanna make our relationship legalistic. Just cook me dinner, leave me alone, let me watch TV. We'll talk tomorrow, right? No, it's called building relationship. I couldn't imagine telling my kids, hey guys, you know, I don't tell you that I love you. So when I do say it, it should mean something to you. Like the weight of my word should mean something because I don't say it. That's baloney. Your kids should hear that you love them every single day, whether you feel love for them, I know. I have wanted to throw my kids out the window and still told them I love them. I get it. But that's because I'm not living my life based on emotions in the moment. I'm living my life based on what I know to be true and right and good for my family, good for the kingdom. It's called discipline. You do it anyway. You can tell what a person values not by what they say with their mouth that they can't live without, but by what they actually live with each and every day. You can't live without your time with Jesus. You might wanna make some room for him in your day. You can't live without your spouse. You might wanna start talking to them with a little bit of respect and love. You, you can't live without your kids. You might wanna put your cell phone down and have a real conversation with them. You can't live w without money and being able to pay the bills, then you might want to steward the money you've got well so that you can be given more. Well, we, have to, we have to get to a place where we're hearing what the Lord is doing inside of us and our actions, our discipline is just an outwork of what we already know to be true. I know I'm running out of time. I'm out of time. Let me give you a couple of examples tangible examples of what discipline looks like in my life and Carrie's life and my family's life. We are reading this book right now. I hate it. I'm so offended by it. It's called The Five Things Successful People Do Before 8 a.m. Well, I always thought successful people got to sleep past 8 a.m. But apparently, if you want dreams to happen, you actually need to wake up with the sun. And uh, there, we've set some routines. We've kind of moved some things around in our world, dethroned some idols that we've made in our home, such as TV. Like we watch TV once every two weeks now, I think, for an hour, maybe. We should really cancel that service. Um, no, I like that one hour every two weeks. 
But we, we, move, we move some things around. Right now, I wake up, uh, I, I didn't this morning, so Lord, don't, don't strike me. I did not this morning. I broke my habit. But typically, I'll wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning, and I'll shower. My kids are asleep. My wife is still asleep for another 30, 45 minutes. And um, I'll pray an awful lot. Some days more than others. Um, I'll read God's word for a bit. That's my second discipline. I'll grow in some form or fashion. I'll grow with a podcast or another sermon that I'm listening to or a family book, How to Be a Better Dad, Better Whatever. But whatever. Um, and then exercise. I get in. No, I want to get in some form of exercise every morning before eight. Now, that may look like walking the dogs. That may look like doing five push-ups on the floor because I, I'm running out of time. It doesn't matter. I just keep the habit. Carrie has a similar habit. Hers is different than mine. I think Michaela and Lawrence have similar habits. Our family's just on this, this kick of discipline right now. I love how the servant goes out. I'm, I'm, I'm done, but let me finish with this. I love how the servant goes out and he looks and, and he sees nothing. Now I've heard people think or read, and I, I've got it mixed up before too, that you looked out and like, oh, it's the hand of God out there. It wasn't the hand of God. It was a cloud the size of a man's hand. And I think it's pretty phenomenal that oftentimes God's miracles looks an awful lot like a man's hand. It's exercised through discipline over and over and over and over and over. The guy comes back and he tells Elijah, he was like, I see nothing. You ever been believing for something and you're like, hey, what's the status? And you get that text back or you get that call back and no change. And you're like, oh, and you just keep believing. I, I personally, I love the servant in this. He could have come back and said, oh, there's a little more wind but no clouds. Like he could, have, he could have been a little more Pentecostal and charismatic in that moment, you know, but he wasn't, he was real, he was honest. I want an honest assessment of situations so that I better know how to pray in the moment. I don't need your manufactured faith for me to believe in a God that can and a God that will. I, w I just want the truth, you know what I mean? Like I've told people before, oh, I have a headache. And they say, no, you don't, don't say you have a headache. And I'm like, but I really do. Like, faith is not denial. Faith is an honest assessment of the situation, but then stepping into the realm of possibilities and supernatural when you partner with what God says can be. Like, just because I have a headache doesn't mean the devil's attacking me. It could actually just mean I forgot to eat lunch. And so me taking awareness of that day allows me to resolve whatever I can resolve. So sometimes my miracle looks an awful lot like me picking up a sandwich and putting it in my mouth. The moment that he saw a cloud the size of the man's hand, Elijah says, go and tell Ahab to prepare his chariots and ride out before the rain comes. Once you get an answer to your dream or the miracle you're searching for, and man, it really stinks that sometimes the answer is no, 
or not the miracle you were looking for, it's time to saddle up your horses and go look for the next piece of ground that's dry, that needs a rainmaker. Because the storm is coming, the cloud is coming, the rain that the land needs is coming. Maybe not in the cloud you had hoped for, but it's coming. And the moment that God said there's going to be rain, God was finished with what he was going to do. You see, Elijah in that moment was looking for breakthrough. You know what breakthrough is? Breakthrough is that moment where what in, is inside of you breaks through to your circumstances that's around you. It's like when giving birth to a baby. Never done it, but seen some. The baby's head crowns. It's breakthrough. What was inside begins to come out. And in that moment, the doctors, what do they do? They say, stop pushing. Because when there is breakthrough, all of a sudden strategies have to change. So when God says yes, or when God says no, you stop pushing and you understand that strategies have to shift. And you go look for the next area of land where rain needs to fall. And you go make some rain and you trust God to send the cloud. I wanna pray over you today as Carrie makes her way to platform. Father God, I ask that you would help us dance until it rains. That we would understand breakthrough is coming. And just because we don't see something on the outside of us doesn't mean there's not something on the inside of us. God, I thank you that you will send the rain. You will send the dream. You will send the goal. You will send the abundant life that you promised in 1010. But discipline now, before we see the dream fulfilled, sets us up for success when that dream actually does burst forth from the sky because you will never send rain to a person that can't run or swim. So we practice those disciplines now as we prepare for the rain. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We would love to hear how God is moving in your life. Share your story by visiting theexchangechurch.org and click on connect to contact us.